Ramble. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Bada bing, bada boom. Before we get started, I just want to say I'm so sorry. We found out in post that the first 28 minutes, something happened with the audio, but it should resume back to normal after the 28 minutes. March 16th of 2023, a Korean live streamer by the name of Ayong posts on her Instagram. So this is like a few months ago, earlier this year. And she posts that she's quitting her online career, or at least for the foreseeable future. She's like, I'm done. I'm taking a break. Her post was kind of long, but it goes into depth about how she just, she just wants to live a more authentic life. She wants to post on Instagram like a normal person. She doesn't want to be caught up in the numbers and the pressure and all of these extra stressors. She says, you know, I'm never going to forget the support that I receive from you guys. I'm still going to respond to DMs and maybe in the future, one day, maybe, I'm going to be back on YouTube after I live a normal life for a while. She wrote that she's really excited for her life and just wants to truly be a normal person. Now, obviously, her viewers have mixed feelings about this. Some of them are happy for her. Some of them feel this bittersweetness. A lot of them just feel sad. A lot of them are just devastated. It felt like it came out of nowhere. Not only that, the post was so vague. It's not like some big event took place online. It's not like some personal life event that they knew of took place. It just kind of felt like she was leaving for mental health reasons, but nobody knew exactly why. Did something happen? And when something's that vague on social media, people are gonna come up with speculations. Even recently in the US, an American YouTuber posted about how she had gone to a potluck with the cult. Do you remember this? It was like all over social media. And then she just disappeared for like a month or two. Everyone was like, oh my God, she's been indoctrinated into a cult. We gotta go in, we gotta save her. So a lot of people are speculating about this. If Ayoung is really leaving or taking a break just to live a normal life. Even Ayoung's friends were curious. So they texted her. If you're not live streaming anymore, what are you gonna do? And she responded, I have to leave the country right now because of my stalker. When I get back to Korea, hopefully I can be alone for a while. What's crazy is, her friend didn't seem too worried about this even after this text message. This just goes to show like the nature of Ayoung's job, it had a lot of potential stalkers. It doesn't seem like this is the first time that Ayoung took a break off of social media because of stalkers. On her YouTube channel, there's a video titled, I'm Still Alive, a very free vlog after a whole month of not posting. So her friend, like Ayoung's viewers, just assumed maybe in a month or two, Ayoung would be back to posting on YouTube, just like nothing had ever happened. Mm -hmm. So she's a YouTuber. She is more of a streamer, live streamer, oh, but she okay. posts on YouTube like life updates. Okay. And uh, just two months after influencer Ayoung posted on Instagram announcing this break, she was found dead 2,195 miles away from her home in a foreign country. Initial reports indicated, quote, severe torture and assault had taken place. Her underwear had also been turned inside out, indicating a sinister motive of sorts. And now this case has been filled with so many conspiracies and just so many questions that we're gonna try and attempt to answer today. How did she end up in this foreign country? Was she hiding there from her stalker? Did her stalker follow her there? Was it a crazed fan? And then it's uncovered that there are two very mysterious suspects for her murder, a husband and wife duo. And it mm. only leaves more questions for everyone. As always, full show notes are available at rottenmanglepodcast.com. Also, I'm still dealing with a sickness, so if I sound a little nasally, I'm sorry. Now, this is an ongoing case, so it's important to keep in mind, like, none of this evidence has gone to trial yet, but hopefully this is gonna be as best of a deep dive that we can do right now. I'm gonna go over the conspiracies, what happened, everything in between. We had multiple Korean researchers comb through just about everything that they could find so that we could put this case together for you guys. But please let me know if anything's been lost in translation or if there's something that you guys want me to know about this case. And with that, Let's get into it. 
There was a spot that locals didn't really understand. And uh, this is in Cambodia, in a small shopping plaza. There's this nondescript clinic of sorts. I mean, the clinic was so tiny, it looked more like a small restaurant that only does takeout. Maybe it seats like 10, 10 customers inside. Signage outside the clinic said that they provided the following services, Chinese and Western medicine, pediatrics, the branch of medicine for children, internal medicine, surgical, gynecology, dermatology, and acupuncture treatment. This hmm. is a tiny, tiny little clinic. This is not a massive hospital with different wings and different specialists and doctors. And side note, I just want to say I understand not every part of the world is going to have hospitals that we traditionally imagine in our heads. Like it's not going to be multiple floors with all these incredibly well-lit, fully equipped, sterile hallways and rooms. Access to healthcare is a privilege. That's not what I'm pointing out here. What I'm pointing out is the clinic was so incredibly tiny. It has less to do with the aesthetics of the clinic or even really how well equipped it was. It's just the fact that this tiny little building is housing all of these services, hmm. right? It just didn't seem as if they had all these doctors, all these nurses that specialized in each branch of medicine that was being offered. And on top of that, locals never really saw people. Like they never really saw patients coming in and out of that clinic. It just... You know, it felt like one of those shops. I feel like we've all seen those shops. I don't want to say money laundering, but it kind of feels like money laundering. You walk past and you're like, I have never seen a single soul inside that place. How do they make money? Mm -hmm. Especially in a place like New York, you're like, how do they pay rent? Rent is astronomical. How, who's going there? This has got to be some sort of cover-up, right? The locals thought it was really strange. Mr. Wadi, a local man, he wasn't really a gossiper though. He's not really into this small town gossip. All the other locals are like, did you see that clinic? That clinic is weird. Mr. Wadi, he's living his life. He's kind of like, um, like a no-nonsense type of guy, which kind of makes sense. He's a very rigid routine. He would wake up, this is like crack of dawn, before the sun even comes up, he's up and at it. He's practically waking up still in the middle of the night. Sometimes he would even see his neighbors shut off their lights to go to sleep when he's waking up to start the day. He would get ready, grab his morning cup of coffee, head out to work, and he was a certified crane operator at construction sites. He'd been doing this for a really long time. And side note, Cambodia has a very tropical climate. So typically construction work is done in the very early mornings to avoid that, like, that blazing midday suffocating humid heat. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But even but even then, Mr. Wadi was a punctual man. He arrived to work super early, June 6, 2023. So like two months ago. He was one of the first people to arrive. He looks around, taking a mental note of everything that had to be done that day. The project was for this new housing complex, but it was still in like the early, early infant stages. Like at this point, they're still working on connecting the, the sewer lines underground. They hadn't even begun like the construction of the main building. So there's just pits all over the property. There's bulldozers that had come in and they're like digging these holes in the ground for the sewage pipes. So just imagine a bunch of holes scattered everywhere. And like I said, because this is a tropical climate, there's a lot of summer storms. So a lot of these pits are kind of gathering water. They would have to drain the summer water, then rework on it. And then the next day it'd probably be filled with water again. It looked more abandoned than a housing complex. But Mr. Wadi wasn't too worried. Like he had been in this line of work for God knows how long. He's like, it always looks like this. And then you're gonna close your eyes, wake up, boom, state of the art housing complex. It's gonna be a sleek building with people in and out. You will never even know this is what it started as. So he's scanning the work site, making sure everything is ready to go. And then something catches his eye. In one of the pits that we were just talking about, it was halfway filled with dirty rainwater and something was almost like bobbing around in it. And it's pretty hard to miss. It's almost like a big red blanket that's been wrapped around a surfboard. Like a bright red, I'm talking like red, primary color red, wrapped around a surfboard and then thrown and kind of bobbing in like the half-filled pit. So he has to drain that, remove that. Yeah, and so at first Mr. Wadi thought, okay, this is probably trash from the construction site. And when the storm came in, it swept it into this pit and now it's just sitting in the rainwater. And he's turning around to finish all of the other mental checklists for the day, but he freezes. 
And then the realization hits him. Like very slowly, but it hits him. The lump is way too big to be carried into the pit by rainwater. Even if it's filled by light construction materials, it's a massive lump. So he slowly turns back around and he starts approaching the red lump. He starts walking closer and closer and he sees at one end of the quote lump was a bundle of wet black hair. He looked at the other end and he saw two swollen feet poking out. So he runs back and he's just trying to distance himself from Honestly, like whatever evil acts had been committed in this pit. And he runs to call the police and the authorities arrive. They get straight to work. They place a red rug on the ground. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe the red rug is an honorific tradition that shows respect for the deceased in Cambodia. Please let me know. They pull the body out of the water. Mr. Wadi was there. He's watching the whole process. He would later say, I mean, it's clear that something really bad had happened. The body was tied carefully in this red mat. Someone had tied up the leg parts, the waist part, the neck part. So he's saying the way that the body was tied, it felt very meticulous. Mm. So someone wrapped it and tied it outside. Yeah. So the investigators had to cut through the electrical cords that were tying up the body in the mat, unwrapped the red tarp-like cloth, and side note, it's a traditional Cambodian mat that was used. So they cut through this mat, and they see a woman laying dead. She's wearing a black t-shirt that said Mel's Drive-In Diner, black joggers, and her face was completely unidentifiable. The decomposition was speedy. So remember, this is the Cambodian summer with humid tropical temperatures. In addition to that, she was found in a pit of muddy water, which only further accelerates decomp. And reportedly, her body was bruised. It was waterlogged, meaning bloated with water. And investigators thought that there was evidence of severe trauma. So a security guard for the construction site happened to also be there when the authorities pulled the body out of the mat. And he said, you know, it looked as if she had been hit with something. This is what he told reporters. She also had scars on her butt region. I don't know if it looked like hospital injection scars or puncture wounds from IV drips, but something was weird. We're going to come back to that later because what a curious description. Like, I don't think that's, that's the first time I've ever heard that. Mm -hmm. So reports start coming out that investigators were working on figuring out who this body belongs to. And from there, they would work their way backwards, try and figure out who this person is, who she was last seen, where she was last seen, and what happened to her. But overall, the way her body was found, media reported, and you know they painted this picture of immense torture and assault before death. That's what international media is even saying. They stated that her body showed extensive extensive trauma. Side note, an autopsy had not been performed yet, but this is what the media is reporting because the crime scene was so public. And we're going to come back to this. A local news station reported, something very shocking has clearly happened. We don't even know if the body is that of a Cambodian or of a foreigner. All we know is that it's a woman in her 30s and there seems to be signs of assault. So the police get to work. They ID the body via fingerprints, and they were able to confirm the victim. And this opens up just a whole other can of worms. I mean, diplomatically speaking as well. The body was that of Pyon Ayong, a South Korean national. But on top of that, a well-known South Korean live streamer was found dead in Cambodia. There's going to be a diplomatic can of worms. This just blew the case wide open. I mean, even if she had passed on South Korean land, I think this would have been a viral case. Mm -hmm. But now that there are so many different elements of intrigue and mystery, why was she in Cambodia? Was she there for vacation? Who was she with? It just, it gained a lot of attention. Netizens would get so emotionally invested in this case, and it would lead to some of the most unhinged conspiracies, if I'm being honest with you. And the fact that Ayong was a live streamer, a BJ is what they call them in Korea, it had people glued to this case. So BJ stands for um, broadcast jockey. And it just means live streamer. But, you know, in Korea, they like to have different niches. So when you go on Korean live streaming platforms, you've got the gamers, you've got the lifestyle creators. But BJ typically means all-around creator. So some days they play games. Some days they talk about their day. Some days they do mukbangs, you know. it's They do a little bit of everything. 
it's more like personality creators, if that makes sense. They haven't nailed down to a specific niche. So everyone online, they're like, oh my God, influencer Ayong is dead. And they start playing sleuth. They're trying to comb through her social media accounts to see if there's maybe even like a shadowy figure in the back. Maybe someone's been following her. Maybe she has a stalker. Maybe she has a toxic ex-boyfriend. Maybe she has connections with scary groups or legal activities. Every sentence that she ever said online, every caption she ever wrote, maybe it was a clue. Maybe she was trying to tell us something. So 33-year-old Pyeon Ayong had been a BJ on a platform called Africa TV. It stands for anyone can freely broadcast or will cast, right? And it's like Twitch. She was, um, she was pretty private with her life though, considering that she was a BJ. She didn't really share too much of her personal life or any sort of intimate relationships. We just don't really have a lot of information on that, but she seems, she seems nice. She seems normal. Like I don't wanna say normal because that makes her sound not special, but normal in the sense that she, at least from what we could find, doesn't seem to have any ties to any illegal activities like people are alleging. She didn't seem to have any groundbreaking scandals that we could find or associations with powerful shady people. Okay, there was like one scandal that we did find. Um, people accused her of dating Got Seven's Mark. Yeah. But that was like that's proven. Just a rumor. That was proven false, yeah. Oh, okay. And then there was some alleged drama between her and another live streamer, which again, it just seemed like the public was reaching. So nothing crazy. Judging by her online personality, she just seemed like a normal girl trying to build an online career. From her Instagram, it seemed like she enjoyed spoiling her friends with trips and trying different cuisines, trying new food. She filmed Get Ready With Me. She seemed really into um, skincare and makeup products. She was also very close with her mom. I will say that even though our researchers and I couldn't find any big scandals that would reflect badly on her character, she was a bit more of a controversial live streamer. For the sole reason that she posted some risky photos, like risque videos. Mm. Well, risque in South Korean terms. She would dance to music or participate in cosplay, and there was a lot of appeal involved. She wasn't afraid to show it. She was embracing it. And whereas maybe in the United States, we'd be like, oh, wow, more power to her. In South Korea, it was deemed incredibly provocative. And she attracted, to no fault of her own, she attracted a very specific type of audience. I don't know if we can call them her fans, but a lot of them called her Bagel Ayong. Like that was how she was deemed. It, she was called a bagel. And I hate this term. So in South Korea, it's commonly used to refer to women who have a baby face, but a voluptuous body. Mm. Baby face, glamorous body. Bagel. It also alludes to the potential shape of a bagel. Yeah, and uh, I believe maybe it could potentially be used as an endearing term, and maybe not everyone who uses it means to objectify someone with it. Maybe some people use it as a compliment, but... Basically, to me, it just sounds like a super objectifying, icky term. And I'm pointing this out because it just adds another element to this case. If this is how a lot of her viewers are describing her, maybe one of them did something horrible to her. So let's rewind back to the day that she landed in Cambodia, June 2nd, 2023. So this is a few days before her murder. Ayong was going to stay with a couple while she was in Cambodia this time. And apparently this couple were very good friends of Ayong's and naturally they became well acquainted with the police during the investigation. From the get-go, they were suspects number one and number two. Most likely, I mean, it makes sense, right? But um, they were cleared. So most likely the day that she arrives in Cambodia... Who, she who are, they? are they just... Two random friends? Or? Yes, it's not even that clarified. So some sources say that they were Korean friends that had moved to Cambodia. Some said that they were Cambodians that she befriended last time she came to Cambodia. Some okay. sources say that it was like a friend of a friend that she was acquainted with now. Okay, so nothing... We All we know about them is that they do seem close to Ayong. They seem like good friends. And they lived in a luxury apartment building. Yeah. So that's pretty much all we know. Now, most likely the day that she arrived in Cambodia, there's not real record of what she was doing. There's no evidence that she went to specific places, but we could imagine that she was settling in. Maybe they grabbed dinner, they're unpacking, catching up with her friends and her host. The very next day, June 3rd, 2023, 
Ayong is caught on CCTV in the street, walking by herself towards a shopping plaza. She looks really calm. She looks really collected. It's about noon, 12 p.m. It doesn't look like this is her first time heading to wherever she's going. So if you guys travel, I mean, think about the last time you've traveled, even to an area in your town that you don't go to often, you're not really gonna be that much at ease. It's not like you're at your local Target, but Ayong is looking down at her phone. She doesn't seem like she's getting walking directions or even looking at a map. She doesn't even really look up and from side to side. She seems like she knows the area. She seems like she's been here before. This is so pertinent, so keep this in mind. She barely looks up from her phone and proceeds straight towards a shopping center and towards a small, tiny, blue medical clinic. The one from the beginning of the story. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The clinic was owned by a Chinese couple, and the locals thought it was a bit of a strange clinic. Not because the owners were Chinese, okay? But they thought, no, it's, you know, not really my business, right? That's what they thought. The locals thought literally all the signage outside was in Chinese. Hmm, okay. And this isn't for certain, but gathering all the context clues, it seems and it feels as if the clinic was being advertised to foreign visitors or Chinese Cambodians. So whether it was foreign Chinese visitors from China that came for the sole purpose of potentially getting more affordable healthcare in Cambodia, or if it was targeted to Chinese tourists who happened to get sick while on vacation in Cambodia, or both, the locals didn't really know. They just felt like it's not really a spot that a lot of Cambodians go to. But nevertheless, if this place is offering pediatrics and surgery and gynecology and all these things, surely they're employing medical professionals, right? No. The couple that owned the clinic had no medical licenses to practice medicine as they claimed on their signs outside. They didn't even have basic certificates or even basic permits to operate this business. Side note, a lot of um, clarifications on this case because I just don't want my message to be misunderstood. I'm not bringing down Eastern or traditional medicine by any means, but that's wild because even for traditional medicine, it's not just random people setting up shops. Fine, they might not have gotten like a doctorate's degree, but typically these providers are people who have been certified through a strict rigorous process for whatever practice they're administering. So for example, in most countries, like in Korea, to even use acupuncture needles, there is a certification process. It's like being a chiropractor in the US. Mm -hmm. But nobody in this clinic was certified for anything not even traditional Eastern medicine. And the fact that they're offering surgery and pediatric medical care, knowing that they're not licensed or certified professionals is unsettling. Police officers would later state, when you go inside the clinic, there's not even a reception desk or a separate doctor's office or an exam room or any other standard clinic treatment room. It, it looked like just shelves and chairs in one open room. Even if this were a restaurant, people would be like, oh, interesting. It feels like the type of clinic that might leave you very confused. On the outside, they're advertising one thing, or well, I guess in this case, a lot of things, but then you walk in and you feel like they're doing something else entirely. So when someone walks in and never walks back out, people want answers. What is going on in that clinic? I do want to give another quick disclaimer about this case. There's a lot going on. So I'm sure you guys are putting two and two together. The victim is Korean. The accused are a Chinese couple. And it all happened on Cambodian soil. There has been a lot of discourse by netizens or even by some media outlets that cast blame on either specific countries or specific groups of people for the supposed actions of one or two individuals, and we're not gonna do that. Suspicious deaths occur globally. They are not exclusive to the three countries in today's case. So regardless, everyone wants to know what the hell is going on in that clinic. 
Well, according to the owners, 30-year-old Rai Wen Xiao and his wife, 39-year-old Tai Hui Zhen, they said that they got into medicine because the wife's family were all in medicine. So some of her family members were in Western medicine. Some of them were in Eastern medicine. And they said that the wife learned all of these different skills from the family members, how to give injections, how to give IV drips, all of that. And they said, you know, her only fault was that she never went through any official training. She never went through any official certification process or schooling. But she knew how to do all these things, so they claim. But she had no license. They claim that she also taught her husband, Rai, how to do basic medicinal practices. And apparently, the two of them, they felt confident enough in their abilities to go ahead and open up a clinic. And right now felt like the perfect time. They had a newborn baby. You know, this was their very first child. So they just wanted to focus more on being financially stable as a family, as a unit. And I guess you could argue that their intentions were good. But uh, it's pretty bad. Like locals said the couple always came to work wearing white coats, doctor's gowns. It seems like at least to a degree, there was a level of deception at play. This is the clinic that Ayong walks into on her second day in Cambodia. Like I said, it looks like she's been there before. Keep this in mind. It's so important later. So on her second day in Cambodia, she walks into the clinic and eventually she walks back out and goes home. The next day, Ayong would come back to the same clinic and it would be her second and her last visit. Oh, so she the second day she walked there and then she came back the third day. Yes. Does it say how long she was there the first day? An hour and a half-ish. Oh. Yeah. Okay. The second time she went, she would never walk back out alive. So something was at that clinic. Something made her go back the next day. But what? Even just her going into a clinic like this has caused so many conspiracies. I mean, it just has so many questions swirling on the internet. Ayong was visiting a small, tiny, not even legal medical clinic in Cambodia, a foreign country. It doesn't even matter that it's Cambodia. It's just a foreign country, right? The day after she arrived, she looked like she knew where she was going. It's not like she stumbled upon it. It didn't even look like she landed in Cambodia, got sick, and then just started navigating towards the nearest clinic. It looked like she wanted to go there, had every intention to be there. But why? South Korea has universal health care. I don't think the system is without flaws, but it's pretty common knowledge amongst Korean Americans. Like even a lot of my family members will literally fly across the world to do big checkups because that plane ticket, even the hotel fees, even like cost of living and like buying food the whole time you're there is cheaper than healthcare in the US, which is crazy. And it's it's a little bit more preventative, I would say, than in the U.S. So you can go there without having like crazy symptoms and they will do all these tests for you. It just wouldn't make sense for her to go to any foreign country to get medical care. And it would be a bit more understandable if she had gone to a hospital in Cambodia that maybe specialized in something that she needed. So again, I don't know if this is like rings true for a lot of Koreans, but I just remember growing up, there would be a saying amongst a lot of the Korean elders in my family, which is you go to Korea for almost all illnesses or for checkups. You come to America if you have cancer. I don't know why. That was like a thing. So a lot of Koreans would travel out of Korea to get um, very specific treatments. Mm. So maybe it would make sense if she went to a very established hospital in Cambodia that's like, we specialize in oncology. That is our forte. We are world renowned for this. This is what we do. That would make more sense. But this is a small random medical clinic that even the locals were like, we have no idea what's going on inside there. So then people thought, okay, Maybe she's going there for cosmetic work, for fillers, for Botox, or maybe even plastic surgery. That was a speculation amongst a lot of international netizens. So one thing to note is there might be a lot of Americans that travel to different countries to get cosmetic or plastic surgery done. I feel like Turkey is a big one for rhinoplasties and veneers. Others will head down to Mexico. South Korea is, regardless of your opinion on it, the plastic surgery capital of the world. The amount of plastic surgeons in South Korea is, it's a lot. And it makes pricing relatively competitive. It makes them competitive with not even just pricing, but standard of care. I mean, they do have their problems. There are cases of very dangerous ghost surgeons, all of that. But that can happen anywhere, really. Not only that, but Ayong was someone that made a lot of money. 
She had recently purchased a home in Gangnam, and this is one of the most expensive parts of Seoul where a tiny apartment can easily go for like $2 million. It's like someone buying an apartment in New York City. They usually have money, right? It just didn't make sense for her to fly to another country when her backyard is filled with her pick of plastic surgeons and cosmetic doctors. It's just, it was really hard for a lot of Korean netizens to wrap their heads around this. Another thing is, you know, South Koreans typically have a bit of pride on South Korean plastic surgery. Even my family, they're like, if you ever get surgery, Stephanie, you go to Korea. Not saying that they're better than the doctors in the US, but it's, you know, there's this belief that Koreans know Korean bone structure. It just didn't make sense. A lot of Koreans were arguing all these small details that just didn't add up. Also, considering Ayoung's career, her career on social media was built partly thanks to her appearance. And I know that some people use that to be snarky. I'm saying that with genuine respect. Like, it is not easy to build a career online. But she built a career online, and I'm sure her appearance did play a role in it. And I think everyone knows that, including Ion. It just wouldn't make sense for her to go to a random clinic. Because hmm. it could impact her future career if something wasn't done well. Yeah, it's weird. Doesn't add up. So on top of that, most people, they like to heal in their own beds. If you're getting any sort of work done, even microneedling or a facial that's even a little bit invasive, it's so much nicer to do it at home to bounce back from it. So the idea that she went there for cosmetic work or plastic surgery just didn't make sense. The idea she went there for healthcare didn't make sense. Then came a new idea from netizens. Maybe the clinic was offering something that wasn't legal in South Korea. Maybe a procedure that wasn't regulated and or approved in South Korea or something of that sort. Because it looks like she had gone there for something very specific. A Korean national, so a Korean citizen living in Cambodia, like an expat, they said, it just doesn't make sense. You know, it's not even a Korean clinic. It's not even a small random Korean clinic. It's not even like they speak the same language. It yeah. just, the only reason for her to have gone to that clinic is because someone recommended her to it or vouched for the establishment. It's not even a well-known clinic amongst locals. It's not like, hey, you're sick. The locals are like, oh, you got to go to this clinic, which makes sense, Right. I just don't see anyone walking there on a whim. Either they have no choice or they wanted to go for whatever reason. Basically, netizens believe that Ayong wouldn't have gone to a clinic like that unless she was going for something that she needed to get under the table. We're going to get into the conspiracies on what that under the table thing is in a little bit. But let's go back to her second visit. On her second visit to the clinic, Ayoung is seen leaving her friend's apartment at around 4 p.m. And she's wearing the same clothes as the day before. This becomes like a whole debate online. Even the fact that she's wearing the same clothes, whole debate. So it's been picked apart. Some people state the fact that she was wearing the same clothes as the day before indicates some sort of mental health crisis. Some sort of, because um, you know, when you become depressed, hygiene becomes an afterthought. Or maybe if you are feeling some sort of manic episode, hygiene can become an afterthought. I personally don't think so, and I'm going to point out why. So first of all, I don't think that outfit repeating is that uncommon, and her hair was styled differently the next day. Like, her hair was groomed. So to me, that indicates she was still keeping up with her hygiene. So she probably wore the same clothes purely because they weren't dirty and not for any other reason. Like, if she was having some sort of mental health crisis or wasn't in a good headspace, she most likely wouldn't have even done her hair. So Ayong's walk to the clinic the second time was just as unremarkable. Nothing suspicious, nothing out of the ordinary. She wasn't walking too fast. She wasn't walking too slow. Just kind of like the pace you would walk to a convenience store on the weekend. You're not in a rush to get back to work. But you're not also like so slow that you seem like you're so tired. She wasn't being followed as far as the CCTV could tell. And she was alone. She walks into the clinic at around 4.10 p.m. that day. We don't have CCTV inside the clinic. We just have the outside. 30 minutes pass. No activity. An hour passes. No activity. Then almost an hour and a half after Ayong's first entered the clinic, we see the first sign of any movement. 5.52 p.m., the clinic's door that had been left open, so you know how when you're open for business, sometimes you leave the door open for airflow. It was open the whole time? It was open. Oh. Suddenly slammed shut. 
someone switches the bright open, sign off. And that's not their usual. 5.52 p.m. At a random time in the mm. day with a patient still inside. Even if you have a patient inside, I get it. If it's closing hours, you don't want new people to come in and you just want to finish this up, I get it. But usually businesses close at 6 p.m., 6.30 p.m. Okay, even 6.30, I usually see like 6 p.m., 7 p.m., right? I've never heard anyone be like, our opening hours are from 10, 12 a.m. to 5.52 p.m. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, there's still a patient inside. And so for the next 20 minutes, we don't really see too much. Then at 6.12 p.m., a woman is seen leaving the clinic. This is suspected to be the wife of the owner. She's almost like peeking down the street is kind of the interpretation of this. Like when you're waiting for someone to come and you want to surprise them. So you're like, oh, I wonder if they're here. You're checking for their car. You're checking for signs of them. She peeks, pivots on her heel, and goes back into the clinic. Three minutes later, the signboards are switched back on. Open sign is mm-hmm. on? For hours, nothing. What do you mean for hours? It left on for hours? Yeah, and no activity outside. Okay. For hours, nothing. Silence. It's so quiet. No signs of Ayong, no signs of movement. And then we see Rai, the husband, leaving the clinic only to return back on his Vespa. So he's seen walking out the clinic and then he comes back on in his Vespa. Wait, he left in the Vespa? No. Oh, he walked off? Yeah. And came back with the Vespa? Yeah. And that's at what time? This is um, around like 9 p.m. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, around like 8, 9, yeah. Okay, then the husband comes back with the Vespa, then his wife comes out of the clinic, gets on his Vespa with him, and then they leave. So now they're both, it seems like he went to go pick up the Vespa and now he's picking his wife up. And the store is closed finally. Yes. And there's no Ayong. Where is Ayong? She's clearly still in the clinic because she's not on that Vespa and she hasn't been seen leaving. Why would they just leave a patient in the clinic? The street and the clinic become almost dead quiet after this. Zero activity until about four hours later around 1 a.m. A blue Prius rolls into frame. The Prius stops in front of the clinic entrance. The wife jumps out of the passenger side and goes inside the clinic. The husband starts reversing trunk first till the car is tightly positioned next to the entrance of the clinic, like too close. Nobody parks like that. The trunk is also conveniently hidden by the hospital gate and it is like completely out of view from the CCTV. And even if you were walking by the street, you wouldn't really be able to see what's going on in that trunk. You would just see a Prius's front poking out. It's implied that they do something with the trunk of this car or place someone in the trunk of this car. And then the Prius pulls out, pauses, the wife jumps back into the passenger seat and they start zipping out of frame. That same car with the same license plates would later be caught on CCTV cameras near a construction site 40 minutes away, just going back and forth, back and forth five different times. It is speculated that the couple knew about this construction site because it was close to a super popular fishing site that they were known to frequent. So if we piece together all the CCTV footage of Ayong entering the clinic, the couple's car driving around the construction site on June 5th, we know that Ayong was in the clinic for nine hours. We don't know for how many of those hours she was kept or was still alive. Her body was left in the construction site June 5th. She wouldn't be found till June 6th. The only people that can give us answers on what happened between the time that she was alive and walking into the clinic and the time that her body was discovered in the construction site, the only people are the couple. The husband has given his side of the story, but it's just, it's not reliable for a lot of reasons, for the obvious reasons that he has incentive to lie, but also he keeps changing his story. So the first story he tells was that of Ayong coming into the clinic, requesting a Chinese medicinal serum injection. All right. It's it's kind of like a plasma injection is how he describes it. He said that this would be used to boost the immune system. He injected her as he would anybody else that walked in through the doors and requested such a serum. But this caused a seizure. For whatever reason, she was not taking it well. She was reacting badly. Now, I think that there is emphasis between a lot of people for the serum that he's talking about. 
a lot of people have come forward, a lot of Chinese netizens have come forward and said, that just doesn't make sense. This is like a very low stakes injection. It's not like um, really someone would have to have pre-existing medical conditions or maybe that injection was not clean. Maybe it was tainted in some way. It just doesn't make sense. Like imagine going into like one of those um, new trendy spots where they do those like vitamin IVs. Yeah, okay. So it's, kind of like a supplement. Yeah, it's very low stakes. And I'm not saying you can't die from those. I'm not saying that something can't happen from that. But it's not like... It's, it's not like she's getting injected with something very serious. Mm -hmm. He claimed, you know, I don't know. Maybe she had pre-existing medical conditions. Maybe there was something going on within her body that did not take this well. Either way, because of the illegal nature of his work and the clinic, he said he panicked. He felt like going to the police wasn't going to bring her back. It was only going to ruin his family and his livelihood that he needed for his new child. So he got rid of the body. Which like... The story is kind of strange, but it's not totally unbelievable. Maybe you could believe it a little. But later, Rai, the husband, apparently told a journalist a completely different story. According to the journalist that spoke with Rai, he stated at the time, Ayong came in for injections, the Chinese injection, right? And allegedly, she was saying things like she'd been feeling nervous recently. She hasn't been able to fall asleep well. But because she already had marks from needles on her body, I declined. Instead, I offered to let her take a rest. He stated something along the lines of, she laid down on the bed and fell asleep. I was playing a game on my phone, and when I finally checked on her, I found her foaming at the mouth, unconscious, and she soon died after that. Okay, so he's claiming that she came in already with substance or whatever in her body, and she laid down and passed away. So he doesn't know if there was something in her body, but she already had too many injection marks and he just didn't feel right giving her another injection. He doesn't know what those injection marks could be. He might be indicating that she was already high on drugs. That's kind of the vibe that he gives later on as well, including mm. his family. So he thinks that she was already on a bunch of substances, walks in. He's like, no, because I'm a good person. I can't give you even more substances. Why don't you just take a rest? Here's my That's problem. That's weird. It's weird. You will send them away rather than, hey, sleep on my hospital bed waiting for something to happen under my watch. And I don't even know you. And yeah. I'm just going to play phone games while you're just late. It's just uncomfortable, not just for him, but also for her. Because if you watch the CCTV footage of her walking from her friend's apartment to the clinic, it's like a maybe a 10 minute walk, not even. Even if you're so tired, you would just walk back home. Mm -hmm. Because... How do you even fall asleep with this? You just met him like maybe yesterday. Maybe you met him a few times before this. We don't know. But still, it's bizarre. Yeah. He continues. And then I found out that her heart was not beating once I checked on her. He realized that this was an emergency. He had to do something. Does he call the authorities? Does he take her to a real clinic or a real hospital? No. He feeds her four to five tablets of traditional herbal medicine. Again, what? I am not bashing traditional Eastern medicine. Like my family is a fan of wait, Eastern wait, wait. medicine. Wait, wait, I'm so sorry. He's saying at this point, she's already passed. Like her pulse is weak. Like oh, there's oh, no oh. breathing. Basically, like, yeah, basically she's passed. And how do you feed someone that cannot? Just shoved it in her that mouth. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And again, like I said, I am all for traditional Eastern medicine. But I just feel like in this situation, it's not the right move here at all. Okay. So he administers four to five tablets of Chinese herbal medicine and then tries to give her an oxygen mask. Also, in this new version of events, he tries to cover for his wife and states that she wasn't there when any of this happened. He was alone. This is like so bizarre because it goes against the whole CCTV footage. But he's saying, well, she, she could have been there. She could have been around, but she was watching our kid. So she had no idea that this was unfolding. He even goes as far to allege that his wife had no idea that any of this happened, that anything bad happened that day. Literally what? His wife was with him in the Prius. She was probably with him in the Prius when they went to the construction site. So it just doesn't make sense. But he said, my wife didn't know. When we got back to the clinic in the Prius, she got out, she went to the bathroom, and I by myself moved the body to the trunk. And then while I was driving towards the construction site, I dropped her off at a restaurant and told her I would be back. And that's when I abandoned the body by myself. 
Rai claims that his wife had seen Ayong and asked, hey, what kind of patient is she? What is she here for? And allegedly his wife saw her sleeping in the clinic as well, but she apparently had no clue that she died in the clinic. Listen, never say never, but the odds of moving a full body to your trunk while your wife is in the restroom and then getting back into the car with your wife, dropping her off at a restaurant to leave to dump the body and then come back, like the odds of doing that seem so slim. But I can see why he lied. They do have a newborn at home, so it would make sense that maybe he would want at least one parent to be present for the kid. He told the journalist, I did make a horrible mistake, like I did. I obviously did this because I have no money. I was scared about my clinic being shut down. I mean, I think that the crime that I should be charged with is abandoning a body. What? But my wife, my wife should not be charged with anything because she was with the baby breastfeeding the whole time. He also dances around his belief and idea that the Cambodian government doesn't want to do a real investigation and they just want to blame it all on the couple. They want to close this case as quickly as possible. He said, that first story where they said that I injected her with the Chinese medicine, I never injected any sort of serum into her. I never said that. The government is using that to get a murder charge. And this is where some diplomatic relationships get called into play. So Rai and his family suggest that the Korean embassy getting involved has escalated this to a potential murder charge. The Cambodian government is trying to please the Korean embassy by trying to, trying to get murder on the table. And since Cambodia and the Republic of Korea, the ROK, are close, they want to please Korea. But this doesn't make any sense because China is also a close friend of Cambodia. And from what I can tell, please correct me if I'm wrong, Korea has strong trade relations with Cambodia. South Korea has also invested about $5 billion into the development of Cambodia since 1997 to, I believe, current date. This could be like two years off. Maybe it's like till 2021, 2022, right? That's a whole lot of money. That's 5 billion reasons why they would want to stay on good terms with ROK. But that's $5 billion in the last 26 years. Meanwhile, in 2021 alone, China invested around $2.3 billion into Cambodia. Mm. So I'm sure at this point, they have surpassed collectively. China has collectively, I'm assuming, given more than $5 billion in investments to Cambodia. So all this is to say, I do think diplomatic relationships can muddy the waters, can influence people in cases like this, but I don't think it's going to be a deciding factor in this one. I don't think Cambodia is going to try and screw people over because of their diplomatic relationships. So anyway, at one point, the journalist stated he asked why he abandoned the body in the first place and where he even came up with this idea. And Rai just snapped. Why are you asking about something that's already passed? According to the journalist. Side note, he also claims that he doesn't didn't know of Ayong prior to this. Didn't know that she was an influencer, what she did for a living, nothing. Which is interesting. Mm. Obviously, the internet didn't believe him and his multiple different versions of events, so they came up with their own conclusions. A lot of these conspiracies do shift some amount of blame on the victim. So I think it's important to note, I really don't think it matters why Ayong was in that clinic. Like there is literally almost nothing truly beyond like murder that she could have done, had the intention to do that would make what happened to her in any way acceptable. So I really don't think it matters why she was in there, but I think it just kind of sheds light on what people are thinking about this clinic and what kind of services they were offering. So the first conspiracy is that Ayong was there for a cosmetic procedure that was illegal in South Korea. Netizens point to the comments made by the security guard from the construction site where she was found that she had marks on her butt region, like IV markings or punctured wounds. Some people speculate that it was from black market butt injections. Is that illegal in... Um, so in South Korea, they do BBLs, which is like a fat transfer. But sometimes um, there are black market injections, which are so bad for you, right? Like people have died from this. And they're like injecting silicone, unknown substances mm. straight into the butt. It's just, it's, it's almost like you're getting filler in your butt, but that's not how it works. You could literally die. Yeah, okay. Even a BBL is quite dangerous. 
So they thought, okay, maybe she didn't want a BBL, but she wanted these injections, so she went to Cambodia to get it. And maybe someone recommended this clinic, but that calls to question who would even, which one of her friends had flown, how did they even come across this clinic? Is this clinic reaching out to people to come fly in and saying like, we can give you a discount or like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense. But also that's dangerous if they're doing illegal things. Why would they reach out to people and leave evidence in DMs and stuff like that? And I also imagine if she was getting any sort of these procedures, maybe at least one of her friends would have known, right? Or at least she would have told the couple that she was staying with. Yeah, they have I, no idea? No, they said, no, absolutely not. We didn't hear anything about that, or at least that the public knows of. So if she was getting a butt injection, maybe the downtime is not that long, but it just doesn't make sense that nobody would know. And South Korea really isn't one of those like hush-hush places where it's like, don't tell anyone I got surgery done. I mean, usually these days people are pretty open about it, at least amongst your friends. Maybe you don't go and advertise it all around the street, but you tell your friends like, oh, I'm going to get a procedure done tomorrow. I'm so nervous, you know. She probably would have taken someone with her as well. Now, another conspiracy that netizens came up with that was Ion was there for drugs that this clinic wasn't actually a medicinal clinic, a medical clinic, but potentially um, a drug dealing front. This has nothing to do with Ayong because from what I can see, Ayong doesn't seem to have any known history or connections with drug abuse. So it's a theory that people started mainly because Cambodia has a lot more relaxed laws on drugs than South Korea. There have been scandals where South Koreans also influencers, will leave South Korea to do drugs in neighboring countries and then come back. So the theory was she went to the clinic, bought drugs, took it, and overdosed. The couple freaked out because they aren't supposed to be doing this, and their lives are about to be over, and you know the rest. A lot of people believe this because, again, the clinic had nobody really going in and out, so how are the couple even making money? Hmm. And then like the fact that they're advertising for surgery and stuff like that would maybe, maybe warrant if authorities had come in and found some really hard drugs, they could argue it's not just Chinese herbal medicine we're giving here. We're also performing surgery. Now, the main thing that the netizens think is propofol. And I think that this has to do with a connection because there was another South Korean famous comedian who died in Cambodia because of a propofol overdose. That one is, is yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of conversations about propofol in Cambodia, or at least in South Korea there is. Propofol is like a heavy anesthetic that needs to have an anesthesiologist present. So this makes sense because you're thinking, okay, well, if she was on like, she's trying to get weed, which is highly illegal in South Korea, she'd probably go home and have a blast by herself, right? But with this, you need to have someone there. You need to have someone to monitor you. It's the medicine that they use to put you to sleep with when you go in for surgery. Mm. In the U.S., it is super, 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 super regulated. It's stated that the high is incredibly addicting. It's a state of euphoria. And it's not just regulated for that reason, but it's regulated because you can easily die. Like anesthesiologists, they're there for a reason. The theory is that while being administered that, she would have to stay in the clinic and then she passed away. Some netizens thought, no, this is not a clinic that is a drug dealing front. There were a lot of Chinese netizens who were offended by this theory because they're saying this seems to be a reoccurring thing. Anytime we go abroad and we start a business, people think like we're maybe it's all the Western movies where behind the Chinese restaurant, you enter the kitchen and it's like a gambling den and all of that. But they're like, we're literally just like everybody else just trying to make a living. And like they did something illegal, but they probably just wanted to provide Chinese herbal medicine and just didn't have a license. They were arguing that Ayong was probably already high when she came in and she happened to overdose in the clinic. This theory was more or less pushed by the couple's own family members. They insisted that the victim was under the influence before arriving at the clinic. I do think that there is xenophobia involved in this case. Even just the sources that we were able to find, there is like this undertone of um, dislike towards Chinese nationals, which is a whole thing. My husband is Chinese, so like I'm sure if you guys know any Chinese friends, you know the struggle right now. But um, I will say this one I don't necessarily believe because mainly of the CCTV footage of Ayong going into the clinic, she just appears so normal. A lot of professors and doctors gave their opinions and stated if she were under the influence of something to the point of overdosing in that clinic, even in her gait, in her stance, the way that she walked to the clinic, there would have been something that indicated that. 
certain drugs make you walk unsteady. Other drugs make you walk very lethargic. It almost feels like it takes all the energy to get the next step. Other drugs will limit mobility. So there must have been something that indicated anything, but she just looks very normal and she seems very sound of mind in the footage. As further proof of that, Ayong's friends came out to release text messages between her and Ayong. Now, her friend was in Korea. Ayong's friend is in Korea at the time, and they were texting while Ayong was on the way to the clinic. Their texts are give us no insight. Ayong's not even really talking about the clinic, but she doesn't misspell a single thing. She's not like fantasizing or talking about something that feels like, whoa, what's going on? Like, this is so random. It's just a very normal, coherent conversation. She's communicating clearly and rationally. And reportedly, Ayong's drug test results after her death came back negative. Wow, okay. Then there is the most sinister of conspiracy theories, that Ayong was essayed and that was the main motive of the crime. Now, this conspiracy, I'm going to only dive into half of it. If you do your own research online, there's another half of it where there are allegations of international human trafficking or essay rings. And again, I feel like it touches a little bit too much on so many different variables. And like the only proof that they're bringing up is basically like, okay, Cambodia is a smaller nation. And then (laughs) they're like, I'm sure China has human trafficking. And it's like, okay, well, everywhere has human trafficking. So I don't know how you can use this as an example because this can happen to you literally anywhere in the United States, in New York City, in California, in Canada. It's just spreading fear and conspiracy without any evidence. Yeah, and I would say it's like, just think about the damage it does, not just to the people involved and all of the nations involved, but specifically Cambodia, because I know that Cambodia heavily relies on their tourism income Mm. to boost their economy. And so to spread that type of like, oh, look at the dark, shady things that are happening. Very scary, you know, like you don't really know how much impact that could give. So this one, I'm just going to narrow it down to the theory that I think could be feasible, which is that it was an essay motivated crime. But it's not because of a whole ring or a whole operation between two different countries and all of that. It's potentially that um, the theory is that maybe the clinic had reached out to her offering some sort of services. Maybe they already knew her as a client because again, it seems like she's going there with purpose. It seems like she already knows where this place is. And Rai, the husband, potentially assaulted her on this occasion. Why do people think that? Because she was found without a bra on and her undergarments were inside out. The theory is either the husband lured her to the clinic so that he could essay her or already knew her from her visiting the clinic and then the second day decided to essay her or just it was a spur of the moment. People speculate that potentially he drugged her to essay her. And some even go further and say potentially he recorded it to extort her for money if he knew that he was she was a famous influencer. There are a lot of dark conspiracies, but the general gist of this theory is that he drugged her, essayed her, and then didn't think that she would die from the drugs. But now there was no going back. Of course, we won't know of any of these theories until the investigation is done, until the autopsy is done, and the medical examiner confirms or denies these allegations. But I do think that it is something the investigators need to look into. Some netizens feel like the underwear thing is not a big thing at all. They're like, this has nothing to do with anything. Some netizens stated that when you're traveling, you might not have access to washing your undergarments often. So you might want to conserve the fresh ones by wearing them inside out. So you get two uses out of one. But to me, this one doesn't make as much sense. So she just got there a few days ago. And the part that really doesn't make sense to me is that Koreans are actually no stranger to washing undies by hand. Mm -hmm. It's like a very Korean thing to wash your undies in the bathroom sink. I actually know a lot of Koreans that do that. So it wouldn't make sense. She would just have washed it at night after she showered and hang dried it. So after this detail comes out, Ayong's friends and netizens are pretty angry at the Korean Ministry of Foreign Affairs. They're arguing that Korea has the right to request criminals who commit crimes against Korean nationals in foreign land, basically saying Korea can ask Cambodia to hand over the suspects so that they can be tried in Korea. And because Korea and Cambodia have such strong ties, they could easily ask for that. Now, I don't know if it's as easy as netizens are stating or if it's just another diplomatic can of worms that would be opened up. I don't know what's going on, but Korea has not done that. And Rai denies these allegations and conspiracies and he says, do an autopsy. There will be none of my DNA there. But as of right now, we don't really have any answers. 
An autopsy could have provided some insight, some answers perhaps, but Ayong's loved ones initially declined an autopsy when her body was first found. It's a procedure that a lot of people think to be incredibly disrespectful to the dead. So after a month passed, so early July, loved ones finally agreed to do an autopsy. So till those results are made public, we don't have much more information. What's happening to the couple? Are they just arrested in... Uh... They have been detained, not arrested. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so the Cambodian justice system works a little bit differently. So they've been detained. The Cambodian justice system has about three years to investigate and press charges. Mm, okay. Yeah. So we do have clarification on the state that her body was found in. Uh, remember how witnesses stated that her body seemed to have gone through what seemed to be tremendous amounts of torture and pain? Authorities claim that there were no serious trauma marks on the body. They believe that witnesses, like the security guard at the construction site, had no forensic knowledge and misunderstood what is of typical decomposition. And when that got out, the press ran with it. They even sprinkled in more details. Media outlets reported that Ion was found covered in bruises, beaten, brutalized, tortured, with orbital fractures, neck bone fractures, and traumatic bruising. Which is just so specific without an autopsy. So another clarification that we got was Ayong's cause of death was asphyxiation. Now, asphyxiation, in this sense, could mean she was manually strangled or she her airways were not working because of drugs. It's really, it still doesn't really answer too much. It's also estimated that she died around 6 p.m., which gives the couple another six hours before they allegedly put Ayong in the car. If that is true, if that is true, six hours is how long they could have called an ambulance, changed their minds, contacted the police, but they didn't. In any case, like I said, the couple were detained. If we're technical about it, they have yet to be charged with murder. So the charges they could face are either murder or illegal medical care, as well as potentially assault. So they've been detained. They're not out free. They're in a detention center, albeit it's not as strict as like a prison or a jail, but you know. So with that, people are kind of split. Some netizens feel like the couple opened up a clinic, knew what they were doing, and they never really meant to hurt anyone. Maybe they were just desperate to put food on the table. They thought that they were maybe even helping people. They tried their best, but when Ayong died, they did what they stupidly thought was the best decision for their futures. Others believe the couple is pure evil. They're con artists waiting for vulnerable patients to take advantage of. Maybe they wanted to sell more and more services that they couldn't deliver on. Maybe they were trying to exploit Ayong's money, or maybe they sought her out. Maybe they targeted her, lured her to the clinic. I don't know. I will say that this case in itself is already very dark, but there was another depressing element that I just wasn't expecting. Most netizens, from what I could see, really grieve for Ayong, regardless of if they had watched her or not before her passing. But there were some netizens that said some of the most insane, heinous things I've read in a while. Some commented on her old dancing videos, things like, what a waste. I wish I could have at least done her once. This is after. After yeah. her death. What a waste. Someone was potentially murdered and you're sad that she died before you could probably essay her. Or saying things like, she did good dying. She wasn't adding to society. All because her dances were a little bit more provocative. Or at least by their standards. Someone even commented sarcastically, now you can dance like that in heaven if you even make it there. Some said she probably went to Cambodia for some guy to buy her a Rolex, so why should I be sad? Where do you even get that? Literally, and okay, so what if she did? If you were on the way to the store to buy a Rolex and you're murdered, should I be like, why should I be sad? That's crazy. Like, what kind of logic is that? Someone commented, live a money-hungry life and this is what you get. Other gold diggers should learn from this outcome. Again, just because she was making money on social... There is a thing. I'm going to just say it, okay? There is such a strong hatred for women who make money on social media and some of that money is made from their looks. There's like... Or their body. There is like a deep-rooted hatred in some people. Why? Do you also hate models and actors who are probably only on screen because they're visually appealing? Or do you praise them for being celebrities and talented? Like, it's so crazy. 
In response to all of this, a close friend of Ayong said, this was the kind of girl that had a hard time asking for refunds. She was timid. She was a very gentle person. And now everyone online is accusing her of being this gold digger, money hungry, like because she earned a lot of money as a live streamer. So now that's her whole personality is money hungry. And because she earned a lot of money, now everyone needs to tie that money to something illegal or suspicious. It's just not the case. Another friend said, it is so upsetting to see so many people spreading lies about her. They don't know how badly it's making the people that love her feel. She died painfully and she doesn't deserve more hate. And what's so sad is while hateful netizens were picking fights with Ayong's defenders and just normal people with souls, there was a small Cambodian grandma that laid out food in Cambodia for Ayong. A Cambodian tradition as well. Um, it's a thing, also, is it a thing in China? In Korea, you also lay out like ancestral food mm, to leave, mm, you know, mm, yeah. for the departed. And this grandma, who probably doesn't look on social media for updates, she cried for Ayong. She didn't ask all these questions. She didn't ask well, why did Ayong come to Cambodia? She didn't ask, well, why did she go to that clinic? What was Ayong's job before this? She just cried about how sad it was to lose such a young life. So there are still a lot of questions in this case, more questions than answers. Another big one is, where is Ayong's phone? She was seen holding it while walking into the clinic. It wasn't found on her body in the construction site. So where is it? Was there something incriminating on her phone that the police shouldn't have seen? Is that why it's no longer found? Did someone do something to her phone? And I know that there's a lot of different elements at play. Like we've got, like I said, a Korean victim, two accused Chinese killers, and it all happened on Cambodian soil. And there's just so much nuance to it. Like Cambodia is working so hard for their tourism economy. And then this thing takes place. And there might have already been different types of discrimination amongst certain netizens towards countries like Cambodia. So I wanted to be as clear and as clear as possible. This can happen literally anywhere. And I don't think the actions of one or two people or even the country that it takes place has anything to do with this type of senseless crime. So keep that in mind and let's be nice in the comments. And please make sure to stay safe. And I will see you guys on Sunday for the mini-sode. Bye.